it, there are some things in this world today that really, you know, it doesn't make sense to a lot of us that read the Bible. If you watch the news, of course, there's a, always something going on in this world that would cause us to really think, you know, and wonder what these people are up to. Where do they come up with these ideas? Why do they disregard what's there written in the Word of God as though it's, it's just a history book, as though it's just some manual, as though it's just some story without any meaning? In fact, even this week, I believe, there was some debate about creation and evolution. And um, I believe one of the, the gentleman's name, uh, I think it was Bill, I don't remember his last name. Well, it's probably better I don't say his last name so I don't get sued. But um, B- Bill Nye, right? Uh, Alex said it, okay, all right. <laughs> all right, so, so they were even uh, debating creation and evolution and... Well, some of the arguments that I, I didn't hear all of it, but I, I saw a brief clip on CNN, um, which they were quick to, to present that, e- that section where the, the gentleman was ridiculed for saying that the earth is 6,000 years. Now, if you read the Bible and you see you know, many of the things that happened, that, that even before man was created, the trees were created, the animals were created, man was created last. So there's a lot of things there that, you know, if, if uh, maybe if one of us were supposed to debate that, we would not have used um, certain arguments. But this is how the world is. They want to ridicule everything regarding our faith. And at the same time, they are concerned with the amount of issues that are going on in this world, the amount of evil, the tremendous evil that is in this world at this time. There is, at this present time, a lot of violence against women in many countries. We see it here even in this country. India has a problem because of their culture, and there's a culture there where women are, are, are dimly regarded, and women are being raped and so on. And, you know, we see all these things going on. At the same time also, there is some fear of bomb threats at the Olympics and the Winter Olympics. There's also fear of a global recession that may come again this year. And there's still the constant fear of Iran developing a nuclear weapon. And is this a time that you can really live and not have faith? Is this a time where you can disregard what's in the Bible. And I came into the church at a very interesting time myself because people would say, these days that we're living are very interesting. These days have some issues of concern. At the time, just about when I came into the church, Saddam Hussein had invaded Kuwait. And the battlefields were set. The talk at the time was that this could be the war or as he termed it, the mother of all wars. The talk of the time was that this was going to lead into the Third World War because the scene was set. All the nations were gathered around there and somewhere in the midst was Israel. And one of the things that you'll hear a bit more about in the few weeks, uh, the weeks coming and the months to come, 
in the religious circles there is this phenomena which they're talking about now, the four blood moons. Where they're saying that these are these lunar eclipses that are going to occur, one on April 15th, when we'll be celebrating the night to be much observed, which is also the Jews celebrate their Passover that night. Another one on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, October 8th. And in between that, there is a, a partial solar eclipse, and next year, 2015, there's also these blood moons that are going to occur again on the first day of Passover, and again on the first day of Feast of Tabernacles. And so, in the religious circles, this is causing some concern because people are wondering what's going to happen? What is this signaling? Is God showing us something? Is there something to look forward to? Because the previous occurrences that they would put forward, there have been some interesting events that have happened around Israel. In 1967 and 68, they had that six-day war. In 1948, when they had a blood moon, Israel was formed as a nation. And they go back and they will trace, you know, all these things that happened with, with NASA and see the dates when these blood moons occurred. Um, I believe eight times now they've occurred on the Passover and on the Feast of Tabernacles. And they'll go back and say, well, these have all been significant events for Israel. When they were kicked out in 1493, they were kicked out of Spain and so on. And they're wondering what's going to happen this year and next year when this phenomena occurs. So there's some concern with that. And there's some people that are becoming riled up about it. There are some people that are expressing sentiments that is this some end time event that is coming. But what I also remembered you know, even when I came into the church at that time, when the prophecies were being talked about a lot, and even though the Matthew 24, if you read that, you would see that there are a lot of things to be concerned about Matthew 24. In the midst of all of that, people are going to still have to live and have faith. You're still going to have to believe in something. If you believe that God is returning, Jesus Christ is returning, if you believe that God has a kingdom that He's going to bestow upon us, you will have to have faith in the end times. And as the saying goes, um, it's a saying that they say, you don't, I don't have enough faith to become an, an atheist. Because you really have to have faith to be an atheist in this world. Because if, if you believe that God does not exist, if you believe that this life only is it, that you live and you get old and you suffer and die and that's it, you really have to have faith to believe that. Some kind of faith. And in fact, Jesus Christ himself would address end-time events in the Bible. And if you will turn with me, please, over to the book of Luke. Luke, 
and we'll begin reading in uh, chapter 18. The question was posed here of a scenario. And we are Bible believers, so we have to go to the Bible. This is our manual for living. The atheists may have a different manual, but this manual tells us how we should live. This manual tells us how we should worship the God who created this entire earth. Matthew chapter 18. And verse 8, he says, The latter half says, However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And if we have faith, we will have an opportunity to show and express that faith because a test will come. The test of your faith will come. And there are many examples in this book, this manual which we live by. Many examples of faith in the Bible. The Bible is more real than reality TV shows. Those shows are scripted. The Bible is more real than your soap opera or your telenovela. It's about real people. It's about real issues. Even abortion, as Eli mentioned earlier. It's about real struggles. Real promises. It's about a real God. And there are many examples, as I mentioned, because we could talk about the faith of David. We could talk about the faith that Samson had. We could talk about the faith that that Centurion had, where he would walk up to, to Christ and he saw him. And he had so much faith that he would say, well, my servant at home is sick. But you don't have to go there. Just say the word, and I believe that he will be healed. And Jesus had to say, not even in all Israel do I find such faith. That this man believed that. Just say the word. And so I want to read a few examples of faith in the Bible. So that we could get more of an understanding so that we could be more reassured that this is true. And there are some people who are mentioned by name in the Bible. Not everybody is mentioned by name. It carries some importance when you see the name of a person in the Bible. It carries 
a certain meaning that this is something to pay attention to. And in the book of Genesis, the chapter that has that creation story, we'll begin to read of a man here that expressed faith. And in Genesis chapter 6, if you'll turn there please, Genesis chapter 6, As Eli alluded to earlier, there is some issues. There are some issues in this world which really, on, when you look at it, they're really evil. Abortion is an evil thing. It's not a good thing. God is the one that has sovereignty over life. And Genesis 6 and verse 5, it says... The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, verse 7, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air. For I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah, it says, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. He walked with God. So we see it's a description of how corrupt the creation had become. And if we turn on our televisions and we watch the news, we see the same thing of how corrupt this creation has become. Where mankind is more interested in worshipping the Creator than the Creator. Where mankind is more interested in things that he says he can explain by science but not what you can explain from creation. The earth was corrupt. And Noah knew that. He was living at that time. It says he was a righteous man, a blameless man, a man who believed God. And in verse 11 it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and it was full of violence. For all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah in verse 13, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. 
and he is going to destroy both them and the earth. And we know the story very well. That he commanded him to build this ark. And he gave him the dimensions. And he told him the animals that he was supposed to bring in. To one clean, seven clean of all the animals, all the creeping things, the birds and all that. And he gave him that vision to build this ark. And he couldn't get this at Ikea. He had to build it. And it took him a long time. And he must have been ridiculed building an ark and a place where there was no water. You can just imagine people walking by and being cynical of, why are you building this? You're far away from the sea. How are you going to get it to the ocean? And so, we saw that he was faithful though. He believed what God had said to build his ark. And I won't read all of it, but you know the story quite well that the rains came. Forty days and forty nights. And the latter half of chapter 7, it tells you here, verse 22 it says, that everything on dry land that had breath of life in it died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground. And all the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. And only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. For the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. But God, it says in chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, God remembered Noah and all the, the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. God remembered him because it was God who told him and instructed him to do this. And it was Noah that had the faith to carry it out. And later on, if you read this, you can go back over this in, in your time, in your, in your own time. That when the waters receded, God told him to bring them out and he gave them a command to be fruitful, to multiply the earth. He did not give them a command to abort their kids. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. To continue creating life. 
And later on, Noah would make a sacrifice which God was pleased with. In verse 21, And God said, Never again will he curse the ground because of man. Even though every inclination of his heart was evil from his childhood, In verse 22, he says, As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. And God made a covenant with Noah. And he connected all of this because before, remember, the earth was wicked. And there was shedding of blood from the time of Cain and Abel. And God said in chapter 9 and verse 6 that whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, as God made man, God is making a connection here to how we should view our fellow brothers and sisters, all made in God's image. And God established a covenant with Noah. In verse 12, he said, This is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all generations to come. And he put a sign. It says, I have set, verse 13, my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. That whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, that he will remember the covenant between all living creatures of every kind. That is the God we serve. A God that is faithful as well and keeps His word. But even this covenant, this sign of the co that covenant, this world has corrupted. Mankind has taken everything that the Bible has and corrupted it. This sign, this covenant of the rainbow, they're using as a symbol for homosexuality. How masterful Satan the deceiver has become. And mankind is following along. And so Noah was remembered by God. And God made his covenant with him. But there's also another patriarch of the Bible, which God remembered. Another patriarch, which was a great example of faith. And this man did according to what God had said as well. And in Genesis chapter 12, we'll read some portions of that. Genesis chapter 12, a few pages over. 
or if you're using a, a tablet, a few screens over. The Lord had said to Abraham in verse 1, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. What a significant statement that is. That God will come to this man and say, you know what? Leave everything that you're comfortable with. Go into this strange place. Journey along. Be a sojourner. And we can connect that with being sojourners on the earth. Which is what the Feast of Tabernacles is about. This is just a temporary dwelling. But it wasn't all easy for him. Because though he had faith and believed God's word, that faith has to be tested. And if we're living in the end times, if there are things that are going to happen, if there are signs that are going to be in the sky of things to come, we have to have the faith when those things do occur. And in verse 10 it says that, that there was a famine in the land. A famine is one of the things that are going to come back in the future. If you read through the book of Revelations as well, you will see that. And it says, Abraham went down to Egypt to live for a while because the famine was very severe. And this is how the Bible is, which I, I love reading these, these scriptures because you can't make these things up. Even if you try, no television producer has come up with the stories that are better than what's in the Bible. The plots, the twists. And verse 11 says, And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but will let you live. And many of the customs, even today there are, there are places that have Customs like that where a man sees a woman, he just goes and takes her, captures her. So he says in verse 13, Say that you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. And if you trace their, their family history, 
you could see that she was indeed a relative of his. You could see that he could say that and be correct. And when Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and said, Well, you got to get this woman. And she was taken into his palace. And Pharaoh treated Abraham, Abraham well for her sake. And Abraham acquired sheep and cattle men servants, maid servants, camels. Great wealth he acquired because he was treated well. It's how significant how God works these things out. That all these people think that they have acquired all these wealth, but God takes it and gives to his people. There's also a portion of that in, in the book of Psalms as well. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarah, Sarai. So Pharaoh knew something was up. Why is is it, is it all of a sudden this woman comes in? He takes her into his palace. And everybody starts to get sick. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? So he found out. Why did you say she's my sister? So that I could take her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And he sent him on his way and his wife and everything that he had. And God had indeed promised Abraham that he would bless him physically. And he got some of those blessings everywhere he went. And as we read along that story in Genesis 13, we see there was Abraham's nephew that was with him, Lot. And they had so many possessions that the land was not, well, that lot of land was not enough lot for lot, if you get the drift. And they had to separate and go their separate ways so that the animals could have enough room to graze and so on. And Lot went into a place which many would describe can be similar to a few places here on this earth. And the Bible describes it as a wicked place. In chapter 13 and verse 13, it says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So again we come back to this scenario of wickedness on the earth. Of such a kind that should not be. 
And Abram, after his name got changed and all that, was visited by some special visitors in chapter 18. In chapter 18 and verse 1, it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great cheese of Mamre. And I believe there are some of these trees that they were debating were still, somehow, some of them are still around in some places. Which is why the evolutionists can say, well, these trees are so old, how can you say that the earth is only 6,000 years old? So Abraham, while he was sitting there, looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. And he hurried, he ran to meet them. And he bowed to the ground. And you know the story. He said, okay, if I found favor with you and so on, let me get you something to eat. Stay with me, get refreshed and so on, which is the custom that you would do. If someone comes to visit you in those times or in anywhere in, in those traditions, you would always maybe get some water to wash the person's feet, get them a place to stay and so on and, and be accommodating, be a good host. And they were told, and Abram was told about the fact that he would have a son and all that. Though they were old in age, and Sarah was well past the age of childbearing. So when in verse 16, if you drop down there, when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, and this is a significant scripture because it's also mentioned in a different way in some other scriptures. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? God always reveals things to his servants, what he's about to do. Which is why we have this word. Abraham will surely become a great nation, a powerful nation. And all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, God said. But the outcry in verse 20 against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry. And the men turned towards Sodom. And in chapter 19, we'll skip through the rest of Chapter 18, you know Abraham pleaded for that city because of Lot was there. Because you remember that Lot was there. And in chapter 19, 
and verse 1. I'll read the PG-13 version of this. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. And when he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down his face to the ground. And he encouraged them to turn into his house. And they said, no, but they will just spend the night in the, in the square, in the city. But he insisted so strongly that they went with him. And he, again, the custom is, he baked bread without yeast for them, and they ate. But before they had gone to bed, in verse 4, look at how wicked this place was. All the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. How wicked this place is. That they would try to do something like this. And this fits perfectly with what Eli spoke about earlier. How wicked mankind is in their thoughts. You can't make up these things. That's why the Bible is so real. And we know the story that they were struck with blindness and so on. But God, because of Abraham, because of Abraham's faith and his insistence, because he had asked that peradventure, if you find maybe ten people in the city, will you destroy it? God was so merciful to Abraham and to Lot that he brought him out with his family. Just as he had brought, saved Noah and his family from the flood. Because of the faith of Abraham, that he remembered that. And Moses was also another patriarch in the Bible, which expressed great faith. In Exodus, if we'll turn there, Exodus chapter 1. It's also a scripture which Eli could have used here. Exodus chapter 1 and verse 16. 
Now, if you know that the rest of the story before this was that the Israelites were there after Joseph and all his brothers and all of his generation had died, that there came in another ruler which did not know about them. And he put the Israelites to hard work. And verse 16 says, in Exodus chapter 1, that some commands were given to the midwives, Shipra and Puah, when you help the Hebrew women in childbearing, and you observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, you should kill him. But if it is a girl, you should let her live. But the midwives, it says, verse 17, they feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt summoned the midwives to do. And they let the boys live. We see policies like that, I guess the reverse, you could say, is probably in China where they'll let the boys live and kill the girls. That's in other places in the world where they try to do population control. So good that God is so merciful to us that we, do, we did not come to live at a time when we could have been killed from childbirth. And the king, in verse 18, says, he summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And they said to Pharaoh, that the Hebrew women, you know, they are smart. They came up with an answer. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are very vigorous. And they give birth before the midwives arrive. And God was kind to the midwives. And the people increased and became even more numerous. He wanted to kill the population, but they became even more numerous. For they feared God. And God gave them families of their own. So that was the command that was given, given them, that every boy that was born, they were supposed to throw them in the Nile. Whether they can swim or not, throw them in the Nile. And one was saved. That they put him in a basket. Put him among the reeds. And Pharaoh's daughter, in chapter 2, went down to the Nile to bathe, verse 5. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent a slave girl to get it. And she saw that it was a baby. And, she, and the baby was crying and she felt sorry for him. 
And she knew that this was one of the Hebrew babies and she raised him. And it was so ironic how this happened. Because she would send for someone to nurse the baby. And the mother was able to nurse the baby. And from that story grew up a man well revered at his time, Moses. A man that had faith. A man that God would use to bring his people later on out of Egypt. A man who Paul refers to as not wanting to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, but rather choosing to be punished along with God's people. A man of faith, a man of courage. A man who would see also later on and talk with God as God manifested himself in the burning bush. And these people that I mentioned are all people of faith. These are all people who will be living at a time that was difficult for them. A time of famine, as Abraham endured. A time of much wickedness. A time when there was slavery for your people. As Moses saw. But these people are all written in what I will call the chapter filing chapter 11 and we will turn there as I will close Hebrews chapter 11 Hebrews chapter 11 all these names which we spoke about are there and verse 1 says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, verse 3, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. The atheists don't believe this. They believe it came out of nothing. They believe that order can come out of chaos. But the Bible says, by faith, we understand, we get knowledge that the universe was formed at God's command. The same God who spoke in the darkness and said, let there be light, spoke it into being. The same God who created man in his image, 
Verse 7 says, By faith Noah, who we read about, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became ear of the righteousness that comes by the faith. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in ten, tents, as did his Isaac and Jacob. For he was looking, it says in verse 10, he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah was barren, he was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. So much that his descendants are as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. But all these people, it says in verse 13, were still living by faith when they died. And they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them from afar and welcomed them. And they admitted that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The Bible says in verse 14 that people will say these things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Lot's wife was thinking of where she left, and she looked back. Instead, these people are looking for a better country. A heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. So these were all commended for their faith. And the Bible goes on to mention many other people in verse 32. That they showed faith. They went through difficulties. And it proves again that when you have faith, and if you are to have faith, you have to go through some tests. We don't know exactly the tests that we will have in the future. We can predict all the things that will happen. 
when all these signs that are in the sky are manifested, as the book of Joel talks about in the future. But we know that if we continue in the faith, no matter what the scenario, no matter what the test, we'll have to wait for God to give us the strength to endure to the end. And we have to use these words that are written down for us, for our, ad- our admonition. The stories of Gideon, of Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all the prophets. That the Bible goes on to mention here that some will shut the mouth of lions, quench the fury of the flames, and escape the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle. Talks about them. Because it takes a lot of faith to go up against an army with 300 men only. It takes faith to go up against a man that's twice your size if you only have a slingshot and some stones. It takes a lot of faith to defeat an old army with the jawbone of an axe. It will take a lot of faith for us to be called strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And if we endure to see some of these things to come, to go through that great tribulation. Some were lucky, but others, it says, faced jeers and flogging, verse 36. Some were chained and put in prison. Some were stoned and cut in two. Some were put to the death by the sword. And they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world, it says, was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, and in caves and holes in the ground. But these were all commended for their faith though they had not received what, had prom- what was promised for God had planned something better for them that only together with us would they be made perfect at the right time at the right season 
at his second coming to this earth, where all the wickedness on this earth will be laid bare, where all the evil on this earth will be destroyed. God has a plan for us. And if we lack faith, we should act, it says. If we lack understanding, we should act. The irony is that if we have faith, the opportunity will come to test that faith.